You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back, Arizona homeowners. It's 8 o'clock. The rooster crows the gate slam. That can only mean one thing. You are tuned in to Rosie on the House. And here we are the fourth Saturday of the month, which means we've got Farmer Greg in studio. And if you are sitting there with your home maintenance calendar and you are ready to learn about composting, oops, oops, it we wasn't got rain. It wasn't a misprint. And and the urbanfarm.org has a plethora of composting, and we will cover it again on this program. But it rained, so yeah. we're going to recap rain harvesting because as long as this drought. This is where rain harvesting really pays off. Well, well, and hit me to where I'm like seven inches on average per year, right? In Arizona, since last August, we've had one inch. So all, since last August, it's since only last been one August inch? Wow. in Arizona, on average, only one inch. So we're way below average. How much could we have recouped from that if we were all rain harvesting? To bring that average up, because we'll go into numbers here shortly about Mm -hmm. how much water per square foot flows off of a roof and how much more of the recovery process of redistributing that seven inches we could have been if we'd have been prepared for it. Yeah, and that's really the big piece. That was the missed opportunity for me. I'm looking out there at my pecan, and Mm. I got to turn on water, even though we got rain last week, where if I'd have had my barn shut off, covering it i've probably been fine another two weeks (laughs) yeah yeah there you go so and and rainwater harvesting only is only a part of you know what we're going to talk about today and rainwater harvesting is a big deal here and i often have people say to me hey greg you know what's the big deal why should we be harvesting rainwater you know we get seven inches a year we need to harvest and direct the water that we do get so rainwater harvesting is the rainwater that falls on your property. Uh, gray water harvesting is, is another kind of water harvesting, and it is legal in the state of Arizona to harvest gray water. Now, gray water is any water that goes down any sink or drain in your house except your kitchen sink and your toilet. So it is legal in the state of Arizona to redirect that water out into your landscape. So that's gray water harvesting. And then there's stormwater harvesting. Stormwater is really the water that runs by your house and figuring out how to utilize it. Gray water harvesting, mm-hmm. I would imagine, do you have statistics on how, I mean, that would be so hard, how many people live in the home, how active, blah, 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 blah. But I would imagine you get a lot more in gray water harvesting because we use our sinks every day. We use yes. our faucets every day. Seven inches of rain on, let's say, 14 different rain days on average, that's... Not a huge amount of water. You know, when you compare that to 365 days that we use our, at least brush our teeth twice, I hope. (laughs) Right. There you go. There you go. Well, and here's the deal. The difference between uh, the two is you're right. We get gray water every day, but gray water systems are a lot more expensive to put in because we have to figure out how to replumb our houses Actually, there's two pieces to it. We either have to figure out how to replumb our houses so we get the water that's inside to run out, mm-hmm. or we have to move those services outside. So I have an outdoor sink at the urban farm that we use for rinsing vegetables and chicken, you know, dealing with the chickens and washing our hands and that kind of stuff. And so that water goes out into the landscape in our backyard, but I also have an outdoor shower. So I chose to move some of my services outside. I also have it set up at the urban farm to 
eventually move my washer outside. So we're actually washing outside. So the wash water goes out into the landscape as well. Uh, so it's, it's a little bit more complicated to do gray water harvesting than it is rainwater harvesting. But your gallons generated annually is, is going to be... Significantly more. So exactly. and, and the key point, that's not the kitchen sink and that's Correct. not the toilet. Those Correct. still are plumbed into city sewer, septic, wherever yes. the drains are going. You don't touch those. Right. But washing machine, yep. bathroom sinks, yeah. showers. Showers, yep. Uh, you could even, now that I'm thinking about this, uh, condensate lines from your air conditioning. <laughs> so that could be water harvesting. They're very active right now. <laughs> exactly. That's my fourth way, place that we get water from. Okay. So we got rainwater harvesting, gray water harvesting, stormwater harvesting, if you want to delve into that. And then there's the other places, um, condensate water and evaporative cooler water. You know, we still run a master cool. Well, I guess it's not master cool anymore, but we still run a, an evaporative cooler at the urban farm. And, you know, that kicks off a fair amount of water. We, we just got uh, Phoenix Manufacturing, their Patio Pal, mm-hmm. that's a roll-around evap cooler with a 144-quart ice chest on top. Oh, so nice. it's outside. Nice. You don't, and the biggest motivation in that for me is the payoff of not having four kids who are all thirsty at separate times go in and out of the house <laughs> that have a hard time remembering to close the door. Yeah. Or we've got... You know, everyone that goes inside, you got to take your shoes off. So, of course, they got to leave the door open while they're taking their shoes off. Mm-hmm. The, the, to have the air conditioned air inside the home stay inside the home. <laughs> and the evap on the patio. And the evap on the patio. And you've got your drinks outside. So, you, do, you don't need to go inside. <laughs> yeah. So, we, you know, there's, there's, there's the that water evaporative there. cooler water and the condensation water. And you're right. The condensation water right now is crazy with all this humidity. And what can you do with that? And that's unlike the evap cooler water, which is highly dense with salt. The condensation water is basically distilled water, you know, so it's very clean. Very clean. So, you know, dad's dogs drink out of it. Yep. Yeah. What can you do with that? That's really, you know, and then we have flood water at the urban farm, you know, so we have the old flood flood irrigation irrigation. Um, So that's part of how we water there. So I, I really encourage people when they're looking at their landscape to figure out all the different places that water comes from and a really cool concept in permaculture. I like to call permaculture the art and science of working with nature. Uh, it's, it's something I've studied for almost 30 years now. Uh, a really cool concept in permaculture is called stacking functions where you actually have one asset like water and you use it multiple times. So what I do with my evap cooler water and condensation water it goes into a fish pond and i actually used to raise fish for food and then so that water gets used to cool my house and then it goes into the fish pond to raise fish and then that fish poop polluted water which is a nice nutrient for the garden goes into the garden so what i've just done there is i've taken an asset called water i've stacked it three times um, so, you know, always looking in your landscape for where you can do things like that is a really uh, important key to uh, desert sustainability as well. That's that's impressive. Three applications for water. I was trying to think, what? how, how do you reuse water? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, and, you know, with my outdoor shower, it's getting used twice. Clean and irrigation. Right. You have to be careful, be cognizant, and we'll talk about this in a little while, what you're putting down the drain. Uh, but yeah, I would imagine if you do the gray water, you you're going to 
a lot of mineral for your cleaning products, not a lot of synthetic or right. A uh, lot of uh, nature, natural based things, right? Uh, but also for the desert, we want things that are low in sodium because we already have super salty water because of the, where we're at. Uh, the product that I like to use for my uh, for my dish soap, for the uh, laundry, and for the shower is called Oasis Biocompatible Soap. Uh, you can you can buy it online. We usually around fruit tree time in January. We usually bring a truckload of it in for people, um, but it's biocompatible, which means it breaks down into basically nutrients for the plants, which is really cool. It's got a real nice smell to it. And um, have you ever made your own soap? I haven't. I've seen it done, and I you know I have a conceptually I could do it if I had to, but I haven't. It's it's actually a lot of fun. Amanda and I did it a couple times when at the Whitman Plantation we were milking goats. That was just oh, one of yeah, those yeah, things right? that uh-huh. um, it takes so long to get into production because it has to be a mothered uh, goat and then they last for about a year and mm, so to mm-hmm. keep the mom and the dad and then if you miss a three day period of time they start to dry up. It was just oh my gosh. We'll when when cu- we had two kids, we could manage it. Yeah, and two horses, but we're up to we're like it eight horses and four kids and something had to give <laughs> <laughs> right so the, the, the milk goats went away but we were taking the goat milk mm-hmm. mixing it with coconut oil yep and i can't remember all the other components but we we made a batch in one afternoon greg we had soap for almost two years Isn't that amazing it that's lasted the abundant, forever yeah that's the abundance <laughs> of the universe that's just uh, i love and you know and that's what we can get out of our garden that's why we need to, for that abundance reason, that's why we need to pay attention to where the water's coming in and, and really utilizing as best as we can. And I kind of derailed on the soap conversation. So it's, it's you like Oasis, and is that for dish and body soap, or is that just? Yeah, it's, it's uh, Oasis Biocompatible Dish Soap, which I use in the shower as well. It's got a nice citrusy smell to it, and then they've got a, a laundry soap. Okay. So, so a, a water harvesting system. Uh, there's a great book out there called uh, Create an Oasis with Gray Water by Art Ludwig. If you're really interested, that's the book to get. That is capital T, the book to get. Uh, and in the book, he talks about creating systems and what it takes to create systems and how to do it. And he, uh, he says there's five components of a water harvesting system. Okay. And those five components are where's the water coming from? It's collection, distri- distribution, and plumbing. That's it's, three. <laughs> that's one. <laughs> that's one. There's collection, three in that distribution one. distribution, <laughs> and plumbing, right? Um, the third one is the tank, the filter, and the pump, which we're going to talk about in a minute. The landscape, and then the basically the people in the landscape, the people in the design. So this is his framework for it. Um, I am a big proponent of not using tanks. Tanks are very expensive. Uh, you definitely don't want to t- uh, put gray water in tanks. Why not? Well, if you're using soaps and stuff, yeah, I... it becomes black water very yeah. quickly. So I'm a big proponent of designing your landscape first, planting the water in the landscape, and then planting your landscape. So that when, if you come and to the urban farm on one of our tours. We've got a tour coming up in October. Uh, my gray water system out in the backyard is designed to water the plants around the area. 
Welcome back in studio with Farmer Greg of the Urban Farm talking through water harvesting and all the different components. It's not just rain, but we've got gray water, storm water, uh, and then a miscellaneous. You were mentioning VAP coolers and condensation lines from our air conditioning. But as we were going to the break, we were talking about tanks, and you're not a fan of storage. Now, mm-hmm. we're not trying to panic anyone that may have already installed it and have the tanks. Absolutely not. can still be used. But if you're starting from the design, Farmer Greg's not a fan of the tanks because... Water's cheap here in Phoenix. Assuming you're in Phoenix, water's cheap here in Phoenix, and it's less expensive to... And we're going to talk about my two rainwater harvesting systems here in a little while at the Urban Farm, but uh, tanks are expensive, and in Phoenix, water's inexpensive. Now, my friend Barbara lives down in Marana. She's on a well, and the well dries up occasionally, and so she put rainwater tanks on on each corner of her house, and so that's her potable water supply for the year. So there's definitely an appropriate place for tanks. Uh, You just have to be cognizant and conscious going into the process so that you design your system so that it's what works best for you, both financially and in your landscape. And an interesting point, I'm jumping ahead, and I don't have all the information, so I shouldn't, but (laughs) August coming up in Rosie on the House is Water Month, and All Uh About Water is going to be in studio. And they've got a study, something's showing on storing water and you should never do it for more than three days Mm. so i'll be interesting to hear what what they're finding there because if if it's in these tanks they've got to be dark so the light can't infiltrate because if the light infiltrate algae starts to grow and like you said black water starts developing so it's it becomes a very complicated thing and with the amount and obviously tanks pretty much applies to rainwater i guess you could do it in gray water no 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 no, no. don't ever stay gray store gray water that's just uh it's a mess waiting to happen it's It's a rare enough thing that we get water that we can use everything that's falling in real time in most cases on a proper design. Exactly. And that's kind of no point to the storage. If you're planning your landscape appropriately for the desert, what you're doing is you're creating creating vignettes or spaces in your yard where you're planting things. And that's where you want to run the water. And you're, you're really with rainwater, you're watering your trees and shrubs, your permanent landscape. You you can use it on your gardens, uh, but that's what I like to do with rainwater and gray water harvesting is plant the landscape, or plant the water, and then get the water into the landscape to water the landscape. So um, systems can get really expensive, really expensive. We're going to talk about my two rainwater harvesting systems here in a little while. Uh, and so what I tell people to do is keep them simple and inexpensive. The less expensive, the better. Uh, you're going to want to test your return on investment um, and s- make sure that you're you know, not spending 30 years worth of money on a system that you really should be spending four or five or six years of money on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of them, uh, one of the key pieces in water harvesting systems. Another one is, is that and this is from Art Ludwig's book, there's the one universally applicable principle for all water harvesting systems is that there isn't one. <laughs> so it's you can't stamp out a rainwater or gray water harvesting system because every system is different. So if you're looking to do rainwater and gray water harvesting at your house, you have to 
observe the space and, and do some research and get some help. Uh, Dan Moncrete over at, I think it's Living Water Systems, is uh, great with you know the systems. Don Titmus out in Mesa is great at designing systems. So you really have to get some education on making sure that your rainwater and graywater system is appropriate for you. There's a lot of things you could say that to that, you know, the only thing that is uh, universal is that nothing's universal. (laughs) I guess that being applied to a lot of different things. Yeah, there you go. So in our water systems, in our tank systems, our tankless systems, Mm -hmm. um, the first thing that obviously comes to mind is gutters. You've got to channel it somewhere coming off the roof. Mm -hmm. Once it's from the gutter, do you just have these metal conduits running all over your oh, your yard a, in the background does it look like that's a great question so <laughs> i actually have I've, i mentioned it a couple times i have two rainwater harvesting systems at the urban farm i have my north system which consists of a uh, culvert an eight foot tall culvert four foot diameter that we stood up on its end poured concrete in the bottom and that collects the north half of the water off of the roof at the urban farm it holds about 750 gallons of water. Cost me $1,400 to put it in a decade ago. Uh, and it's not passive in any way. If I want to make it work, I have to go hook up a hose, run the hose to the part of the yard, turn the hose on, and run the water out. The other one that I have that's on the, on the south side is an $80 system. It basically... Uh, takes the gutter water. So I've got gutters on the back of the urban farm. It takes the gutter water and runs it down a pipe out into the yard. The thing about running water, and you know this, is that you have to slope the pipe. You know how much? Uh, In the plumbing drainage, it's a quarter inch per every foot. Quarter inch per every foot, exactly. So you have to slope that pipe a quarter inch per every foot. So the farther away from your house... The more of a slope, the deeper you're going to go. So the one that I have on the south side of the house uh, is basically a three-inch black pipe that runs out to my orchard. We're in, we're in the backyard with Urban Farmer. Well, front and backyard at the Urban Farm. We're we're in the yard with Farmer Greg. More after this. You know, Greg, this is funny. We're always interrupted by commercials. You've got so much content, and we always try and pack, uh, pour 10 gallons in a five-gallon bucket. Yeah, there <laughs> you go. flowing over. So we were in the middle of a conversation with uh, Farmer Greg from the Urban Farm about rainwater harvesting, one of four components of water harvesting, mm-hmm. or four sources of water, water. for water harvesting, yep. and the south side of your home. Well, let me back up. You said you're not a tank guy, but then you've got a 750-gallon culvert that the north side goes into. So I wanted to ask you about that. What's up with that? <laughs> what? So, so that's get, how, that's what made you not a fan of storing it exactly. after living with that for ten, exactly. a decade? <laughs> exactly. So the tank at the urban farm was put in in 2004, and it was, it was a learning experience for me. Um, you know, it may come in handy down the road if— uh, water prices ever go through the roof here but you know once again water's so cheap here in the valley that um you know it's just it's less expensive to not put in tanks mm-hmm. so don't put in tanks unless you know unless you have a conscious reason to do it okay so the one on the south side of the backyard it's it's an 80 dollar system 
It's totally passive, which means I don't have to do anything except a couple of times a year I brush the leaves off of the scupper that takes it down into the ground. And it runs about 20 feet out into my backyard and waters my orchard that's out there. You know, I have fruit trees that's out there. Uh, And this is where the return on investment piece comes in at. So $1,400 to put in this tank. And that was with a crew of my friends and neighbors putting it in. So there was no labor cost A professional install by someone with an ROC license who's got to be licensed, bonded, and insured with a company truck. (laughs) $2,500 minimum. So when, when you start doing a return on investment, basically what you do is you divide the um, cost of the tank and the savings per year. I figure on a good year, I'm being generous here, I'm going to save $50 a year with that tank. <laughs> and and so how, how are we getting there? Um, for every, let's, let's just use a thousand square feet. For every thousand square foot of roof space we have. We're going to get 600 gallons of water. Okay. For every inch of rain that we get. Okay. 600 gallons, yep. and we get seven yep. inches on average. As last year, we only got one, so that's really easy to do the math. Well, he had in 600. the second <laughs> half of the year, we got one. <laughs> right, yeah. right. So, yeah, so we're getting about 4,200 gallons per 1,000 square feet per year. And um, what is and, – and I'm on a private well, so all we pay for is the electricity to run the pumps. Right. Out of the – well, I mean, the initial cost of the wells is huge. Oh, close to twenty grand, right? You know, price still hasn't. But that number aside, our monthly bill is just to APS to run the power, right? Um, what what is what is Phoenix water? Cheap. A- anybody not, know off not, the top not, of their head what's the price per gallon? I have no idea. <laughs> so you would just take that forty two hundred. So what what we're doing is to con- and divide cap- it by the yeah cost of the gallon, right? And so that you know, I just. <laughs> Honestly, the fifty dollars is somewhat arbitrary. Uh, figuring I, you know, if I'm generous, I can save fifty dollars a year. So fifty dollars into fourteen hundred dollars is twenty eight years. So my return <laughs> on investment on that is twenty eight years. And you put that in in two thousand four. Fourteen. Uh, two thousand four. That's right. So you're you're about halfway. To I'm your, about halfway <laughs> there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. On the other hand, my return on investment on my solar panels that I put on my roof was 7.2 years. And for environmental things, they say a good guide for that is between six and nine years return on investment for solar. For for oh. any kind of project oh, that you're doing, like that, whether yeah. it's water, solar, yeah, under ten years, right, under ten years, you're you know that's a good return on investment. Um, so, not such a good return on investment on my uh, on my water harvesting system at the urban farm. Hence the reason I like my eighty dollar one, <laughs> which I don't have to do anything to, and it waters your your orchard. Yep, when the water comes, it waters the orchard. Now I'm sure. You said you're on flood irrigation, so that's coming from SRP, mm-hmm. I'm assuming. Yep. I mean, they're monitoring this. If you're getting rain and you're scheduled for irrigation, they're probably not turning on your irrigation. So you're never oh, fighting yes. a situation where the the irrigation's flooding your yard and the rainwater's flooding your yard. And you've got this abundant amount of water pouring into your neighbor's yard. Uh, no, actually, they they don't. In my neighborhood, they don't take that into consideration. No, so it's, just it just on, all comes. On clock? Okay. Yeah, but... Again, look at the past couple of years. Our rainwater hasn't been there. It hasn't been there. So, uh, you know, it's 
it's just a system that I love. When I went looking for the urban farm 29 years ago, I've been there 29 years this uh, this fall. Uh, wow. The first thing on my list was flood water, flood irrigation, because I had it when I was a kid. It's a water right that comes with the land. They really can't take it away from you. Although, interestingly enough, we've lost, we've gone from 22 to I think 19 runs a year. So it is it is going down, which makes sense. And, you know, I'm honestly, I'm a huge fan of flood irrigation when it's used the right way. This is Greg talking my <laughs> right way. Let me put it that way. When it's used my right way and we're growing food with it. And not Bermuda grass. You said it, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and there's so. nothing wrong. There's a little Bermuda grass at the urban farm that there the chickens is. roam in and it's underneath yep. some some shade trees and uh unless you're diligently out there weeding i would imagine uh you know that uh, there's not many properties in an incorporated part of arizona mm-hmm. that don't have to kill off bermuda grass even in a desert scape at yeah. some point just the germination right. the seed drop the birds the water transportation i mean it the, all of that yeah <laughs> yeah well and you can't really kill bermuda grass right you don't kill bermuda grass you have to dig it out and if I remember right, Jay Harper had some stats from ASU, and, and it was like two feet that you'd have to dig down to guarantee 100% hmm. from an ASU study on, on Bermuda grass. It was, so, I'll have to ask, get those stats again from him, but it was ridiculous. Yeah. Now. Well, and here's what I found about Bermuda grass. If you're, like in my yard, we're floodwatering, so it gets a good deep water. Uh, it doesn't have to go down. The reason that roots go down in a lot of cases, especially with grasses, is they're looking for water. So if the water's up close to the top, those roots aren't going deep. They're happy. They don't have to go looking. Exactly. So it makes, you know, it just makes it easier. Okay. And, uh, well, I won't go into it. I was going to talk about that's how, why when you kill Bermuda grass, you water it so well. But, and a lot of that's it's growing and it absorbs the yeah. pet. So some guidelines for gray water. Yes. Never store it. We talked about that. Uh, and... These The guidelines, Arizona Department of Environmental Quality has a document. There's 13, uh, there's 13 steps in it or 13 guidelines in this document. Uh, and one of them, a big one, is that you don't ever want to use it for surface use. So you're not using it for lawns. You want to basically, they call it daylighting it underground. So you're putting the water, you're putting the water underground as quickly as you can get it. And you can do that through basins and through tanks and that kind of stuff. Um, so that's another one of them. Another is uh, use gray water on shrubs and trees. That's my favorite thing to do it with it. And we talked about that earlier. You plant your landscape and then you put the water on it. Uh, so it's a permanent landscape. Uh, another thing, you never want to dead end a rainwater or a gray water harvesting system in dirt. Because what happens very quickly is the roots will clog the system. The roots from the trees, the roots from the plants, the, the, just the roots in the area will clog the system. So we have this little trick that we use in rainwater and graywater harvesting where we actually bury a tank in the ground that doesn't have a bottom in it. So that when that water enters the tank that's in the ground, it kind of cascades or waterfalls into the tank. When it hits the ground, it percolates into the ground. But that tank holds an airspace 
that the roots don't grow up into and clog the pipe. So you're not backfilling this either with, with big river rocks either. No. This is open space. This is open space. Because the river rocks, eventually the dirt would start building up on top of that. And exactly. So complete open space, in ground, bottomless. Now, yeah. is that raw bottom or do you backfill it with some ABC or rock nope. granules? No, I just, I just use raw bottom. And it really, it almost depends on how hard your dirt is. We've got some areas here that's got really hard caliche. So, you know, it's, it's again, that's one of those things that you have to kind of determine as you're putting your system together. You know, that's something that you have to figure out, you know, and you do that by doing a perk test, dig a hole, fill it with water, see how long it drains. Something really, uh, you know, important to do. So, um, you know, so how do we, and I'm, I'm sure the point and goal is to have as little fall into the tank as possible. We want to get it channeled off, run to our orchard, run to our shrubs. You know, we're not, we're not just taking this off and dead ending into an open tank underground. Well, yes, I am. And then what I did is that open tank has fruit trees planted all the way around it. And the roots from the yeah, so that the water open space that w- keeps the roots from going into the tank. Exactly. So by having an airspace in the ground, it the roots don't grow up and clog the pipe. The water percolates out that in, in that entire area, and I'm you know I've got an old uh, uh, agricultural lot, so the soil's pretty good, and you know it this it probably goes out a good 10, 15 feet in all directions. I've seen the water. Uh, kind of pooling in that part of my yard under when we have really heavy rains, the water will come up. It seeps, it seeps around, but it also kind of seeps up and makes a little bit of a puddle that's there for all of about two minutes. <laughs> um, but it, it waters a fair amount with this, you know, with this system. So the big thing is uh, in water harvesting systems is slope the pipe and don't dead end a pipe in dirt or gravel. You have to dead end it in air so that the roots don't grow up and clog the grow up and into clogging the pipe. How big is this tank underground? Ah, great question. It depends. Um, I have one in my front yard that I designed. It's it's the one that's coming off of my bathroom. So I designed that particular gray water system to take the shower water. If I ever add the shower to the gray water system in that particular bathroom right now, it's just a sink. And so we used uh, the tank that's probably six foot tall or six foot long. And it's a dome. Um, You know, it's like it's a dome that sits in the ground. So it's probably if you if we filled it with water, it'd probably hold 250 gallons of water. The one that I have out back in my orchard, I cut a 55 gallon drum in half. So what's that? Twenty-seven gallon size worth, and that's that's plenty as well. Okay, that's plenty as well. So they don't have to be huge. The thing is, they don't have to. You make sure they don't have a bottom in them, so that the water can run out. Got it. The critical part, and <laughs> like you said, on a twenty-seven gallon, when it's at the end, it's overflowing on the top as well. But when that water goes back down, you've got that airspace that mm-hmm. keeps right. the roots out. Yeah. All right. Exactly. We're talking water harvesting with Farmer Greg of the Urban Farm. This uh, audio will be available on podcast at the end of... Uh, how, how long does it take you, Gary? An hour? Two hours? Uh, I, I stay after the show a couple hours and put it together. So yeah, by, very by after lunchtime. Yeah. yeah. 
well, it'll be later lunch for me, but yeah. <laughs> and there's plenty of content you can find at urbanfarm.org as well, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm gonna, I've got a link for a class. I'm going to look it up here. Ooh, this time just flies by every Saturday. I don't know how that happens. And always, like I said, we, we have more content than we can fit into the hour. With Farmer Greg, we're talking, you know, the the big mindset and driver for you is just, it, it's not sustainability, but it's regenerative. Mm, re, regenerative. Re, regenerative. Yeah. And, you know, not relying on the food source being trucked into the cities that, mm-hmm. you know, obviously out here in the desert can come from a long ways away. And just being able to not be reliant on, on that supply. And you've had a vision of teaching the entire city how to grow its own yes. food. Yes. That's my goal. My goal between now and when I die, I'm 57 years old, is to create Phoenix into a food secure place, which means it's a place that we grow much of our own food. And the the crazy thing about our food system, and I'm not complaining about the food system, it feeds what, 330 million people three times a day in this country. So it's an eloquent system. But the crazy thing is, is that the food's coming from very far. And so much of it, up to 80% of our fruits and vegetables come from outside of the country. And so much of that we can grow in our front and backyard. You know, fruits, we can grow fruits, we can grow vegetables. You know, uh, our friend Kari had um, goats mm-hmm. and lamb that she was growing in her backyard. Uh, I've done, we, we have chickens now, but I've also done meat birds you know, so it, it, growing your own food, it's actually quite simple. Not that it doesn't take work, but it's quite simple. And, and really, that's my message is how can we how can we create a food secure Phoenix between now and when it's no longer time for me to be here? I figure I got another 25 years. Well, you're so that's my goal. short there a little bit. Well, there you go. There you go. All right. It's obviously, so. in any of that, whether you're meat birds, lambs, goats, uh, chickens, or fruit trees, water is a big component of that. Water is definitely a big component of it. And being conscious of where your water is coming from. And I, I think moving forward that it's just going to get more challenging. You know, with the droughts, and there's really no end in sight with the droughts. Uh, you know, we've at the urban farm, I'm at 16th Street in Glendale. Before the monsoon started, from January 1 to July 1, we had gotten less than a half inch of rain in that mm-hmm. six month period. Now we've doubled it since then, thank gosh. <laughs> yeah, we've doubled it since then, but we have to be really, really cognizant of the water that we have, the water that we use, how we're using it, the different ways that we can re- repurpose it and reuse it, the stacking function piece that I mentioned earlier. And just how fast your recovery time is bringing everything back up to that seven inches you know that's what especially if we're talking natural landscape Mm -hmm. that's what the plants here are designed for and and used to that seven inches of rain they can survive very well on well if we go this whole span of drought being able to take the water that's going on the roof and channeling it to that bush you know you can bring it closer to that seven inches if you're only getting three inches of rain that year exactly just repurposing it. We're doubling it up. Yeah. 
So some cool resources. Okay. Some cool resources. First of all, I have urbanfarmwater.com is uh, one of my landing pages at the Urban Farm. I have a rainwater harvesting class that I give there. Uh, you can sign up for that. There is the Arizona uh, Graywater Regulations from Arizona Department of Environmental Quality. Uh, so that, you know, definitely go to AZDEQ's website looking for those. Uh, Brad Lancaster, he's a buddy of mine. We go back a couple, a few decades. Uh, he is the guru of rainwater harvesting. He's written a couple of books on it. Um, and his website is harvestingrainwater.com. You can go check that out. He's got lots of great resources. He's in Tucson. And I have seen a lot of rainwater harvest systems installed in Tucson. Oh, yeah. They, that is a a common practice there. Yep. Yeah. Well, and one of the things they're doing, remember we mentioned stormwater earlier? Mm-hmm. One of the things they're doing with the stormwater uh, is they're actually cutting the curbs. So he's Brad's designed a system where you make one curb cut. You know, you cut the curb away for about um, a foot, foot and a half, and put a basin in on the on the not street side on the dirt side and so when the water runs by it fills up the basin but it doesn't run through the basin because the basin's higher than the street or mm-hmm. the edge of the basin's higher than the street so the basin fills up and doesn't flood out when you got that stormwater coming in now you have to deal with the you know stuff coming in off of the street and you, i don't know that you'd want to plant plant food there but to shade streets you know to actually start creating shaded streets in our neighborhoods that's a great way to do it and they've started doing that in phoenix as well the actual curb cuts very cool and that is uh rainwater harvesting rainwater.com got it harvesting rainwater.com brad lancaster brad lancaster very interesting well we've got uh, just about a minute to wrap up here i'm very excited so our fruit tree 18th our 19th annual fruit tree season starts on september 1st we have a huge event that we do you can find about it at out about it at urbanfarm.org on the front page. It is, I'm bringing in speakers from Tucson and California. We're talking about extreme tree care and all those things that we can do. It's a half a day event. It's free. We're giving away ball caps. I'm an urban farmer. Ball caps. We'll be giving away fruit trees and so on and so on. So urbanfarm.org if you want to learn about fruit trees in the desert. Time and date for that? September 1st, 9 a.m. at North Phoenix Baptist Church. One at 9 a.m. North Phoenix Baptist. In their fellowship hall. And that is, is that on Central? Central and Bethany Home. Okay. Got it. All right. Well, Farmer Greg, we appreciate it. And again, urbanfarm.org for additional information on, you know, bringing your home into a sustainable food source.